0: Welcome back, everybody, to Reclaiming Hope. I'm your host, Ben Hamilton, and this episode is going to be about reclaiming hope in marriage. And so, part of my role in what I do in and around the church is providing um, care to couples, in, uh, whether it's preparing for marriage or who are already married but have hit a rough patch, sometimes a very, very rough patch. And uh, so, the various things that come out of that often become areas where I see... Um, just kind of some struggles with hope. And uh, and not only in my observation in terms of what I do in ministry, but uh, I'm married as well. And we've been through a lot in our 10 years together. And uh, one of those topics that we've kind of just been curious about having a conversation, my wife and I uh, uh, like this for a while, has been around the topic of infertility. So, as we're recording this, we're just a couple weeks out from National Infertility Awareness Week, so uh, just kind of a week dedicated to just creating some space to to let everybody know that, hey, this is a this is a thing. It's actually a, a pretty common thing, unfortunately, uh, and I, I can't remember, uh, Joe, you have to correct me if you remember differently, but I think at the time that we were going through it, the stat that I heard was one in 10 uh, couples, um, kind of have to deal with infertility. So, I mean, certainly just, I, I think our journey has just informed us that it is, it is unfortunately, it's a common, um, area of pain and suffering and sorrow for, uh, for, for many, many couples that we've come to know and walk with over the years. And so we wanted to have a conversation about it. So I asked my wife, Joy, to come and join me on the podcast today and she graciously accepted. So I appreciate you being here just to, to share your side. And one of the reasons we wanted to just do it this way instead of kind of have someone interview us is just to even try to model um, what, what it looks like to discuss this as a husband and wife um, because I think as we'll get into here in a little bit, one of the difficult parts about this especially was feeling just super disconnected through it all in terms of how you were processing it versus how I was processing it. And that didn't always look the same. And so it kind of made it hard to come together sometimes and to actually just connect and talk. And so, um, so just wanted to model that through this kind of conversation. So we're going to give it a go and see how this goes. We've sat down with a lot of couples and Um, but kind of just doing this one off with mics in front of our faces is a little bit different. So, um, but thanks for being here, babe. So I thought we could just start by just kind of sharing our story a little bit, which I'm happy to fly through, uh, just to kind of catch us up to like how we got, got to that part in our marriage. Um, does that sound like a good place to start? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Okay. So, we've been married about uh, 10 years now, actually, uh, coming up in just a little bit. And so, super excited about that. Super thankful for all those years of marriage we've had together. And I shared in the second episode, I think, whenever we kicked this off, just about some of my chronic health issues. And so, that certainly is a backdrop, it feels like, for us. Um, Full disclosure, we've never, like, known for sure if these chronic health issues were the reason um, why we weren't able to conceive, but we've kind of just always suspected they had something to do with it. Um, so, but that's kind of the backdrop for us. So we, when we met and certainly when we got married, my, my health, which was kind of teeter tottering on, um, just some things were stirring up, starting to kind of get a little bit more severe and and chronic in nature to, they just kind of took a, a nosedive off the cliff, um, shortly after we got married and, and then we kind of were trying to pick up the pieces for the next few years, just figure out what was going on and get to more of a, a stable place with regard to my health. And um and we got married what how, how old I think I was upper twenties. We were upper twenties, right? When we yes. got married. Yeah. So. Yeah, we were upper twenties when we got married. And so you know that I guess had a little bit of pressure attached to it. We weren't like in a rush to have kids, but I think like we knew like two, three years in that like we might want to start start mm-hmm. trying uh, and uh, especially once I started to finally gain some ground on getting healthier again, we kind of i remember kind of having that conversation hey okay. let's at least we're we're not gonna like try not to mm-hmm. uh uh." not get pregnant yeah (laughs) if that if i said (laughs) that right right. like we weren't going to try to actively like prevent like pregnancy or whatever and then from there like that i feel like lasted maybe six to twelve months um yeah
1: and just nothing was happening
0: nothing was happening and so then i think we and then around that time we became like a little bit more like okay we're ready like to have a child like we want to we want this to happen and so so yeah and then but Some time went by and nothing was happening. And it was a little, I don't know, like I I just didn't, I think we were surprised, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of generally say, like we've heard what the books say, what doctors will tell you is, um, you know, to try for a good year uh, before you seek any kind of help or anything like that. And so I think at this point, we had been kind of around that like two-year time frame. Is that kind of how you remember it? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so we we realized we, we probably need to check this out. And if I could even just stop there, and I, I don't know how well your memory is uh, with regards to that, but kind of even before we decided, around the time we decided to seek out some medical information like what's what's going on here what was going through your mind and had then do you remember
1: you know i i i don't remember specifically i think for i think for a little while I, i probably tried not to think about it too much not to put too much pressure on ourselves because we weren't especially that first year weren't like actively trying to have a baby it was just kind of like well i think we're at the point where we don't really need to prevent it if it happens that's great um so I really think I try not to think too much beyond that probably going into that second year I thought about it a little more we were trying to be a little more proactive about it um yeah and you know as we got further along it definitely started you know some of your other chronic health issues started creeping into my mind like okay well we never knew for sure if that was going to affect our fertility or not um so, of course, those thoughts started coming more into my mind, like, okay, are these illnesses and issues a little more far-reaching than maybe we thought? Um, at that point, my mind probably kicked into a lot of research mode where I probably read way too much on the internet about diets and exercise and how all mm. of those, you know, external things, at least on my part, affected fertility. And so um, I know I probably did way too much research on my end. Hmm. Um, but I mean, we did hold off on like the medical aspect of it, getting some things checked out for a little while. Because
0: um, I was also like going through medication trial after medication right. trial, trying to get some things in remission, and
1: yeah, so there were a lot of, I mean, from a medical standpoint, probably a lot of different factors that could have maybe been temporarily affecting it. Right. So yeah, I think I know probably in my mind I wasn't. I was wearing a little bit but probably thinking okay we just need to get through this next part. Um, but then it starts to wear on you, I mean month after month where you know you're you're trying to be steady and work on things and it's still not happening. Mm. Um, like it started to be a much heavier pressing issue at that point. Yeah. It started to feel a little more out of our control. I mean mm. it never was in our control anyways, but You know, for a while you think, you know, if you can, if you can manage some of the external factors, then it's just a matter of time. Um, But I know at that point, as we were creeping up on two years, it started to feel much heavier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, when we made those appointments and, like, started reaching out, like, for help to get insights, did you kind of feel like you started to hold your breath kind of at that point? Like...
1: Yeah, I mean, like oh, I want to... maybe expect I mean, something
0: was coming, or...
1: I did. I expected something, because, I mean, it, you know, we... I felt on my part I was a healthy, you know, yeah. what, 28-year-old, 29-year-old at that point. Like, yeah. you know, I felt like, okay, this should be happening for us. It's not um, like
0: we were sleeping in separate bedrooms. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, we were actively trying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean I guess I remember, you know, making the first couple of appointments for myself and um yeah, expecting to hear back. And I think at that point, you know, I almost just wanted some kind of answer so we could move on to whatever the next step was or Yeah, in my mind, like, you know, easily correct whatever was going on, whether right. it was vitamins or medication or, you mm-hmm. know, cycles, whatever, like I was just ready to find that answer so we could keep moving forward. Yeah, um, and I know I you know I made a couple appointments and got things checked out and there were no answers I mean by everything that came back like it shouldn't have been a problem yeah so
0: then, yeah I think because uh, I think how we started actually was you went yeah and, and kind of yeah. check things out first because I I think I mean I don't know, did you, like, if you could have put money on who was going to be, like, like, yeah,
1: like, I would have thought me, to be honest, um,
0: it seems the more common, I think, perception, yeah, of you know, I yeah. think
1: that is a lot more common, or at least maybe, I don't even know numbers statistically, if it's more common, but it's at least just more, more talked, talked about. about, yeah, um, so yeah, I fully expect that It was something, maybe not even something serious, maybe like a simple tweak or mm-hmm. something we needed to be tracking or working on. Um, so yeah, I mean that's why you know I made appointments for myself first because I really did yeah. think that it was something with me. Um, and yeah, honestly, I, was really, I think I kind yeah. of hoped it was because I thought it might be a little easier to correct <laughs> if it was something <laughs> yeah. with me. Um,
0: when I hoped it was just because I was tired of the one having all the problems. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, but yeah, and so you, when you kind of, yeah, went through a couple appointments and we weren't getting any like, okay, this is something, um, then that's when we kind of knew, okay, it's my turn. And unfortunately, that was like short uh, in terms of like, like basically we found out right away with me that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. like medically speaking, there was zero chance of of getting pregnant and so what was that like for you getting that news I can definitely talk to you know from my side of things mm-hmm. uh so and maybe I'll just start there while you're kind of just listening and jogging your memory but I remember for me so obviously that was that was a, that was a gut blow and I felt it right away. Um, so here we were, gosh, at that time, uh, what are we like, maybe four years into marriage or so, something like, I think we we're uh, yeah. about four years into okay. marriage and those four years had been rough uh, in terms of, I mean, they'd been like, they'd been beautiful. Like I I loved you. I love being married to you, but like, like things for our life were pretty rough. Like my health, again, like pretty much right after we got married, um and moved to florida for a seminary like it just it just took a dive and mm-hmm. all of a sudden so many things in which i felt kind of confident and secure in um in my life kind of seemed to crumble and i kind of felt like for a while i felt like this shell of a man and a person and that um you know i really struggled with my sense of self-worth and value and certainly adequacy because um You know, there were, there was long stretches of time where I couldn't work. uh, I couldn't, you know, provide for our family. Mm -hmm. And I needed a a lot of care and support uh, just all the way around from like physically, obviously in and out of doctors and those sorts of things, trying to get health under, um, under control, but then also just kind of mental health and, Mm -hmm. and stuff like that as well. And so this was definitely like a gut punch for me, just getting that information that, okay, it's, it's on me again, you know, is kind of how it felt like, uh, here's another way I'm kind of failing, failing our family, letting you down, all that sort of stuff. However, as I remember it as well, um, and maybe some of God's mercy in here for me, at least, uh, so I had kind of come out of some of the darkest places of my health, like crisis mm-hmm. uh, we had finally got some answers, some diagnoses, and uh, we'd begun treatment, and we were starting to make you know some progress. I was starting to gain some weight back, gain functionality, be able to kind of be a participating member of society again, getting back into my graduate studies, all that sort of stuff. And during that process, I felt like the Lord had really been walking me through the shame part of my health journey. And um, not being the same guy I was for, you know, the preceding 30 years, um, you know, where I kind of felt a little invincible and everything like that and uh, and sure of myself. Uh, So God had really kind of done a work there in kind of carrying me through a lot of the shame. And so so when I got the news, it was a gut punch for me, but then I feel like I was instantly, I had this framework now of... um, God bring me to a place of like not living in that shame anymore. Um, and so I feel like I was kind of able to crawl out of that mm-hmm. big ditch that I fell into as soon as I found like kind of pretty, pretty quickly, like in hindsight. Mm-hmm. So that was like my experience. But I know like yours was incredibly different. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that first. um with that first diagnosis. I think it for a while it didn't really sink in um, or at least maybe I tried not to let it sink in for a while. Um, I mean like you said, we had already come, although we were still dealing with a lot of things that already come so far in your health journey a lot of areas were starting to look better. Um, and so I think in my head I kind of convinced myself, well, maybe we just need more time like this is. You know, we're getting some other things under control. Like things are getting better. Maybe this will just follow along with that. Um, you know, you know, when you're a lot of times when you're dealing with infertility or even in the early stages, you often hear things from you know well-meaning well-meaning people like, "Oh, you just need to relax and not think about it," or, hmm. you know just just take your time. You know, stop trying for a little while. That's usually when it happens. Yeah. Um, and those people mean well, but often that is not the case for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think in my head, I was I was trying to convince myself of a lot of those things. Like, you no, know, we just needed more time. Maybe you know the stress of the other health issues, and then this on top of it was just a lot at the time. Maybe we should. In fact, I even think maybe we decided. Okay, we're going to take a little break and not like actively try. I don't remember at what point
0: that yeah. was, but we were, I feel like we're we going to try to time it anymore. And yeah, that stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and so I think with that first diagnosis, I really kind of, I didn't let myself fully believe that, Hmm. um, I kept I, I kept thinking like, okay, well, there's gotta be something else. And at that point I probably did even more (laughs) crazy research into like, you know, supplements we could take or you could take and which probably led me down an even larger rabbit hole. That was not good for my heart and my mind. But, um. I mean, as far as I can remember that was pro- that was my first reaction I think to a lot of that initial diagnosis just really not wanting to let myself believe it because we'd already come so far with a lot of the health issues and yeah just kept thinking you know oh not this too like this is this is not going to be you know the final say we just need to give it more time
0: Yeah yeah I think I remember a little bit of that tension for me as well uh, like I think Part of me felt like, okay, this makes sense. Like, this would be, you know, the the thing. At that point, you know, we had already felt like we had, you know, been through so much that kind of, for me, it was like, well, you know, why not, you know, one more, you know, kind of. (laughs) Whereas uh,
1: I was probably the opposite. I kept thinking, oh, not this too. Yeah. This, This can't be added on top of everything else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any idea at the time, like like going back? So I know like one of the things um, that is often challenging about going through this as a couple is going through it together. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we're going through it together, but, um, but together in the sense of connected, um, unified, uh, both seeking to know and be known and all that sort of stuff. How do you think we did like that first time when we were still living in Orlando and like, so as I described that initial gut punch and like all those feelings of inadequacy and wrestle shame and stuff, Mm -hmm. did you have any idea? Do you remember me kind of being vocal about that?
1: I do remember some of it. Yeah. Um, Not all of it. I, my initial response to things like that is unfortunately to just kind of pull away. Um, And I, I, I think hopefully I've grown in that over the years. Oh, for but, sure. um, yeah. you know, I know I did some of that at that point. Um, I kind of get into, I know, especially with that first diagnosis, I kind of get into the mode of like, almost trying to control things, like trying to, okay, well, yeah. yeah. And I, it is a self-protective tendency of like, okay, well let's just figure this out. Like there's gotta mm-hmm. be something we can do. And I think that kind of went hand in hand with me, not really wanting to fully believe that first diagnosis and just, okay, we just need more time. I, I do remember you being more vocal about some of those things. Um, it's
0: more my nature too. It is.
1: Yeah. yeah. Whereas mine is not. Um, I think I personally at the time was probably more focused on finding answers, um, rather than I was
0: ready to kind of move on. You
1: were, you were, you know, willing to kind of sit in that for a little while. Um, and I was not, I, you know, felt like we needed to keep moving and that was, that was a very self-protective thing at the time yeah um and so I think it caused a lot of tension for us during that that time period um I know that we could have done a much better job of just pausing and connecting
0: yeah um, well I think I was really in hindsight now even as I just listened to myself reflect I think I was probably very self-protective too I think that was a mm-hmm. part of my response and just kind of dealing you know again with with the the weight of the news um the the tension with shame and like the the bait to slip back into you know and live in a ditch of of shame again mm. um and like no no am not going to do that because god has already delivered me from that in this area of my life and my health so i'm not going to do that so i'm going to kind of climb out of this and then all right, it is what it is. So let's move on. Let's talk about adoption or maybe we don't have kids mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think it's probably likely that that was a little self-protective for me too. Yeah. That I didn't want to linger there. Right. Um, because especially knowing the risks of shame mm-hmm. and, and everything. And so I just think that's fascinating. We were probably both, protect like wanting and seeking to protect self Mm -hmm. which is totally not how marriage was designed to flourish um and so yeah that was hard and so this was this was in Orlando and shortly after this um really just
1: a few weeks after
0: is 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 when when we moved when we moved okay so then we moved to to Charleston South Carolina and and we decided after we got settled there and kind of kind of let some more time go by because again that was something that you were um you were wanting to uh, kind of give it another year almost um not you yeah know, and not, not even that
1: long i mean it was really just a, a few, few months, months i think yeah. we were in the midst of a lot of transition and so yeah. you know and it was causing some tension so it was just kind of i think we're at the point of let's just let's just not think about this for a little while. Mm-hmm. Let's work on, let's focus on the transition and getting moved.
0: Yep. Um, We're going to church plant and do stuff like that. So yeah. yeah, I just kind of pushed it to the side. And then when we got to Charleston and I got reestablished there at the VA hospital mm-hmm. and everything that I would just start it over and kind of go through it again. And, mm-hmm. um, and so we did that and we got, unfortunately the same news, Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was now the second time in the span of a year that we kind of get that news, have to receive it again as a couple mm-hmm. and certainly also as individuals. How did it play out that second time? Do you remember for you?
1: Yeah, <laughs> I do remember, unfortunately, a lot of out. Um, I, the second time was when it hit me really hard. Um, you know, I think often, you know, you try to get a second opinion and you think you're hoping to hear something a little different or at least a little more hopeful. Like, yeah, we see this, but we think this is what we can do. Here are some options. And we really got the same news. Like, yeah, there's 0% chance that this is going to happen. Um, And so I think at that point was when, like I said, it was when it really hit me the hardest. Um, reality began to sink in of like, okay, this is, having a family is not going to happen, you know, normally for us, like I thought it would. And I, I say normally with probably quotation marks around it because I think, you know, there's no one size fits all formula for having a family. We just kind of create these constructs in our mind of what normal having children normally looks like. Um, and then with you know, and with that reality is when things started to get really hard and feel a little more hopeless. I think that's when a lot of the hopelessness kind of set in for me um, of, okay, Lord, like we've dealt with so many things already. Like like the first few mar- years of our marriage has not been really joyful or, again, normal <laughs> like yeah. I thought it was. Um, Normal like, you know, a lot of couples I see around us. We have dealt with much heavier things than most people have their first few years of marriage. like And, and now this on top of it, like, like really, really but like for a while, I remember a lot of the seems like a lot of the conversations I tried to have with the Lord were just really,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it was hard to get past that for a while. Um, and I think for me initially too, some of those, you know, self-protective measures started coming back in. Um, I was just not wanting to talk about it, but, um, but as a hard reality set in was, you know, initially for me, I, I started feeling just a lot of more, um, a lot more anger and, and bitterness initially hmm. as I was, those were just kind of some of the first emotions that I, I started dealing with through that.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, it's kind of hard to hear and relive that. Um, but I appreciate your honesty. Um, I, well, let me kind of share just a little bit about how I received it. And then uh, I do want to go back to kind of that, that hopelessness and how feel like this kind of impacted um, our communion with God. And then also with, with church folk, you know, and the people, because mm-hmm. I know that was that's a big part of the story as well, is just trying to navigate that world because it often can feel like a really, really like unfortunately lonely place um mm. for a Christian going through infertility. And um but yeah, the second time around I think you know, I learned from the experienced disconnection the first time, uh, that we didn't really do a good job of kind of grieving and processing together. I didn't do a really good job of meeting you where you were at. Mm -hmm. And so that second time around, I think I just resolved in my mind to, um, uh, to just like meet you wherever you were, like in your, in your, in your grief and your pain and just try to sit in that and share that with you. Um, We had also, at that point, we had kind of been through another like kind of semi-traumatic thing thing in terms of like we went you know we went and we moved to church plan and to be near your family which mm-hmm. was great but the church planning thing did not go well and um and we kind of had some some hardships um uh through that place kind of feel I feel like we got a little kind of kind of bruised up kind of going yeah. through uh just the um the whole church planning process and so like we were I think it was it was obvious at that point we were weary Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped me to, like just recognize in my mind, okay, we need to slow down here. Like mm-hmm. we need to just, and I need to slow down and I need to just be with my wife in this place of pain and confusion and suffering. Yeah. And so, um, like, did you experience it like that? You feel like that second time around that like,
1: yeah, I feel like for us together as a couple, we did much better that second time around. Um, I really appreciated the slowing down um, especially from I mean you kind of leading that process because I do think the first time I mean like you said you you kind of moved on quickly we're ready to talk about adoption and I was just not ready to do that yet I had not given up I guess that hope of conceiving naturally and Mm -hmm. like I had always expected to do Um, and so I really needed that space and that time the second after the second confirmation yeah. Of that um, and that's yeah. what we did. I mean, we were going through a lot of other things at the time, um, so we just kind of slowed down. We still, I feel like we were still able to connect and talk through things, but in a much slower way. Not necessarily like, okay, let's talk about what we're gonna do. Just more of like, let's talk about what you're like, how you're feeling today, or what you're thinking. Yeah. But like, and you just gave me a lot more space and time at that point to, to process things. Yeah. Um, mm. And I mean, cause really, you know, as women, woman we're, when you're going through this journey of infertility, everyone's coming at it, you know, from a different point. Like some women have dreamed their whole lives of being mothers and being stay at home moms and, you know, just
0: being pregnant.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of been a dream your whole life. Others have. You, know, you don't really think about it until you find out that it can't happen or it, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, I wasn't exactly the type who had been dreaming, you know, my whole life of being a mom and what that would be like. Um, so I, I think maybe when we found out it wasn't going to happen like that, that it maybe hit me kind of surprisingly hard. Because um, no matter what starting point you're coming from, it's still, it's a shock and it's painful because you still... Um, You know, whether you've dreamed of being a mom your whole life or not, like you still have this construct in your mind of what your family is going to look like and how that's going to happen. And so when that construct or dream is shattered, it's a very hard reality to deal with.
0: Yeah. So, and it it initiates a a very, very real, profound grieving process that I think a lot of times we uh we're we're maybe not in tune with so well because we think you know grief is reserved for um, only those areas of life in which we can you know kind of put place our finger on and say there's an obvious death there. And mm-hmm. so we think quite literally in terms of like uh, you know lo- losing a person, losing um, uh, a, a relationship, a death of a family member friend, mm-hmm. like whatever like may have you, but uh, the death of a dream. Um, mm-hmm. Or the death of uh, a desired ability um, is, can have the this exact same effect on a soul and on a person and thus necessitate kind of a, a very real grieving process and journey mm-hmm. that, you know, I think sometimes, um, again, we're not in tune with and so we don't embrace it or... Uh, We've received messages from the world or from other people that um, that that isn't a thing that's offered to us in that place. Um, And so then we kind of have this this just disconnect of like there's this profound pain and sense of loss, yet I don't know how to walk this road now because there doesn't appear to be a roadmap for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to like get back to you, you mentioned a lot of kind of the hopelessness and what, like your journey with the Lord was looking like then. And I know like that's a big piece of this as well. And obviously for, you know um, like for this conversation and with regard to claiming, reclaiming hope. Mm -hmm. um, So our hope was definitely uh, assaulted, you know, in Mm -hmm. this, right? Like it, it, it took a major blow and, um, I just want to like circle back even to when like the first uh, the first diagnosis, the kind of first um, instance in which we found out we had infertility, we were still in Orlando. Mm-hmm. We were in uh, very much a Christian context. We were in yeah. seminary at the time. Uh, I was in seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you were also living the life with me. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think at that point we were both working, yeah, we were working uh, at the seminary as well. And so talk about a little bit like just of your experience um, of what that was like. For you, mm-hmm. because I know one of the m- more profound things for me to learn about you along this journey has been how the move to um Charleston, even though that was when we got kind of what felt like the final nail in the proverbial coffin mm-hmm. um regarding our fertility kind of prospects or whatever um, that you seem to also do better yeah. like there and be be a little healthier so. Yeah, so yeah, why do you you think that was? Why was that the case?
1: Um, I feel like that process of healing, for me personally, throughout this experience has been a little unconventional, just in the people, I think in the circumstances that the Lord has used to bring healing. um, After that first diagnosis, like you said, we were still in Florida, you're in seminary, um, we were very much in a seminary church kind of bubble, probably what I would describe it as. Yeah, um, we were both working at the seminary as well, so we didn't really have a lot of um, outside influence or outside community. Um, and we were in our upper twenties and you know being in that world that we were very much surrounded by couples who were babies popping out left and right. <laughs> yeah mostly couples who are younger with us younger than us who already had multiple kids um, yeah. everyone was they could pregnant. not get pregnant yeah. right this just what um, it
0: seems like when you're going through it
1: it it was you know and when you're when you're dealing with infertility you know even going to a trip to the grocery store can be hard <laughs> like you know because yeah. you're you're just suddenly very aware of everyone that is pregnant or ha- is pushing around a cart of children and You know, so even simple things like going to the store can be painful experiences. Yeah. Um, Mm. And.
0: Well, because, you know, and so having children, the blessing that that is, um, is an obvious thing, right? Because I can look Mm -hmm. and see the child. I can look and see the pregnant belly. You know, I can look and see the shopping cart full of diapers or whatever like that. And everybody talks about you know, pregnancy and yeah. having kids—like we, you know, we celebrate that. We we talk about it, yeah. um, but n- nobody talks about infertility, right? Yeah. Like that's hidden; it's it's yeah. secret, um, and and we don't really talk about it. Right. So,
1: and you know, even I mean, you go to a party or someone's house, and everyone's seems like every conversation will revolve around people's kids, or they're showing pictures, or yeah, you know, even as a young couple, like you know you meet somebody new they say oh when are you gonna have a family so do you have kids and that's right just the hardest they're just there's so many ways for just those waves of grief to to come up even in just normal everyday situations and so for me especially being in that um kind of church bubble of like large families and couples getting married and having children right away um I just felt like every day was a constant reminder that we were in a very different place um and we didn't really know I mean didn't know anyone else who was struggling with the same thing so it was it's a very lonely and isolating time it felt like um for me it felt like it wasn't even didn't even really have anyone to talk about it with because no one really understood at all. I mean, everyone was...
0: Well, to our knowledge, right? Because we didn't know anybody. We we didn't know anyone there there, was. The sad thing is there probably was someone, but we didn't didn't
1: know No one was talking about it. And so it was, it felt like it made it even harder to connect with people who we were, you know, trying to be in relationship and be be friends with because we were just, again, those normal conversations were just hard to have. And yeah. I remember even, you know, trying to make friends with women in the seminary and trying to hang out. And they'd be like, oh, I'm going to take my kids for a walk. You could come with us. And just even things like that were hard. <laughs> it's like yeah. I couldn't even just feel like I couldn't even hang out one on one with anyone um, yeah. without being reminded of that gap that was there.
0: Well, it was so fresh. And, it was, you know, because yeah. like... It- and part of the tension here, and like what we're gonna have to kind of talk about, we can even do a little bit now, is um so w- when you're in the thick of it, uh which i I am not gonna even try to put a a time stamp on in terms of what's appropriate, what's normal, um but when you're in the thick of that sorrow, that suffering, um it can be loving and wise to avoid certain mm-hmm. triggers. And that's, that's okay. And like, Mm -hmm. we need to give ourselves grace and permission to do that. We also um, probably need to be thoughtful sometimes about how we do that. Mm -hmm. And this is part of how we can just kind of all kind of collectively grow and heal here is, you know, so if that, you know, um, if, if getting the, the, the baby shower, you know, invite uh, when you're fresh on the heels Mm -hmm. of an infertility diagnosis is, It's just too painful like it's okay to say no Mm -hmm. um uh, i guess what i'm kind of advocating for here and and we've got to learn our way through this and so like we'll 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 get it wrong and we'll look back but then we can always go back and reconcile you know those relationships Mm -hmm. that you know, we may have actually kind of brought some hurt into because we were hurting, um, you right, know, cause yeah, that's a real it's, thing.
1: It's easy to unintentionally hurt other people because you yourself are in the midst of a very painful
0: situation. Um, yeah.
1: And I think to just being aware, like even if you yourself are not journeying through infertility or miscarriage, like, but you are, you know, walking with someone who is like, it's, it's a painful experience. Um, yeah. and yeah, even, you know, it, it is, especially, you know, if you're, you know, fresh and it's those things like baby shower invites are are causing a lot of pain or if, you know, even, you know, you, you go to some and you feel that kind of envy or jealousy starting to rise up when you're in those situations. Um, it can often be healthy just to take a break from that. Um, I think you can be thoughtful, you know, if it's a friend, just kind of sharing one-on-one, like, I love you and support you. I can't be here. This is why. Yeah. And get them a gift and send it and maybe just take them to
0: coffee and say, hey, being in the large room with all the people is a little too much for me, but I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. Like,
1: yeah. um, And that, and that can be hard to do. I mean, you want to love and support someone, but it is a really painful experience. Yeah. Um, And so it's hard trying to find that balance there. And, yeah. and then on the opposite side, you know, if you are someone who is having a baby shower and you have friends that are dealing with a recent miscarriage or infertility, just being as understanding as possible, knowing that it's not anything personally directed towards you. Um, and, I mean, even simple things like, you know, if you have a pregnancy announcement and you know that a close friend is dealing with infertility or miscarriage, um, even the thoughtfulness of maybe telling them personally, before yeah. a public announcement, I mean, those things really do make a difference. Cause you know it can be hard as the person who is walking through infertility or miscarriage to, you know, you try to may try to be brave and go to a baby shower, but then you often feel like, or even hang out with friends who are having babies and pregnant, um, and then people feel kind of feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you. I mean, that that's yeah. hard too. It's like you, you feel like you're putting. A lot of people in a weird situation. Um, and there's no shame in that. I think we often make ourselves feel guilty for that as well. Yeah. Um, and there's not. It can just be really healthy to take some space, um, you know, to be honest with the people that are closest to you and you feel like need to know that. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you, you know, and it's okay too if you don't feel like sharing those things with everyone. Right. I think everyone's journey is different, everyone's time period is different. Um, you know, I wish I could just lay out a map and be like, well, if you do this and this and this, then in six months, you'll feel totally better or like a, you're on a much better path and it's, it's not, not the same for, for everyone. Yeah. You know, it could take a couple years. It could it could take a couple months. It could, you know, you just never, you don't know how long it's going to take for that. Um, yeah. And I think just not feeling shame or guilt and needing to take that space or that time. to protect your family and your heart. Um, Yeah. Those things can be very necessary.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, let's... So one of the things we've been granted in Christ is um, uh, we become ministers of reconciliation. And so Mm -hmm. as with a lot of suffering and hard things that can kind of just because of the nature of just them being hard things they can uh, and other people aren't in the same place they can create uh, a disconnection so a broken relationship a fractured relationship Mm -hmm. and that's that's hard and that's that's often just unfortunately sometimes part of the journey but we who have been given the ministry of reconciliation so like um you know, for us, like an infertility, like if we, if we had to create some space, you know, like between us and, you know, that couple that just kept happening, you know, kid (laughs) after kid or whatever like that, um, you know, at at some point, like a returning to that relationship and, and just even being able to vulnerably just say, Hey, in this season of life, like I realize our relationship kind of experienced a disconnection and like, and I I regret that like I'm sorry um, and and I love you and I like just want to let you know like here's where we we're at here's where we we're going through and that's why it was so hard but like I just want you to know that like I still love you I still value our friendship our connection and I wanna I wanna see that happen go mm. forward um, and like that's okay like I mean like reconciliation is a beautiful thing and it's it's just part of our humanity and part of what we've been given of the call of christ and so um because yeah these things are gonna be hard and they're gonna create disconnection they're gonna create disconnection between us and so like i you know when i tried to move on too quick that first time Mm -hmm. um you know i had to come back and own that and you know and so we were able to reconcile and i mean infertility is something that can it can rip a couple apart Mm -hmm. and um as with so many different kinds of suffering because yeah it just kind of threatens the connection that you have and the intimacy that you have with your spouse mm-hmm. and so being able uh because we who have received grace upon grace um and who have been given this ministry of reconciliation to go back and to confess and to um and to forgive and and all those things it's uh, again i think one of the ways that the lord can create beauty from ashes like do these things but um so getting back to, so it was hard kind of, uh, again, sometimes it can be hard in a Christian context when, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you know, all you're kind of seeing is, um, feels like just babies popping out left and right. And, you yeah. know, a million, uh, uh, baby dedications. And, uh, you know, you hear the, all the scriptures about, uh, you know, the blessings of, of yeah. children and everything like that. And, and, but we don't often kind of talk about
1: mm-hmm.
0: the other side, the hardships that can come, yeah. the um, the infertility, the miscarriage, and things. And so, it can make you feel so so alone. Um, and yeah. yet, when we moved, and we kind of weren't immersed in the same kind of context, and you are now working um, uh, you were now working in a different location with people from all different kinds of worldviews. Um, and you kind of felt a release of some of that pressure, uh, which I thought was kind of fascinating.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah, that's kind of why I feel like in the, my journey through some of this healing process that the Lord has brought me on has been a little more unconventional because I mean, for me, and I, unfortunately, I think this historically has been the way for a lot of women, like, the church setting was one of the hardest places for me to wrestle with this journey, like throughout this journey. Um, because I felt like everywhere from like the families around me to even, you know, the scriptures on the blessing of children. And I mean, there's, you know, whole chapters that go just through like lineage of different families and how important that is. And so you start to, you just feel this myriad of emotions from, you know, pain and grief and hurt to times, you know, shame and confusion. And, you know, you blame God, you blame anger, yourself. Yeah. You think, am I being punished for something? Right. Um, and so for me, the, the church was a, a very difficult place to wrestle with those things in. Um, and again, a very lonely place. And I feel like um, I hope and I think this is changing to where we are able to talk about those things a lot more. Um right to where like, yeah, I, I hope that's changing, um, to where, you know, our, our, church family is more of a healing place for that and a, a safe place to wrestle through those emotions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really when we moved, um, you know, we got that second confirmation diagnosis. I did really initially start, like I mentioned, start to feel a lot of bitterness and anger. Um, I'm so grateful that the Lord, you know, gave me grace through you to just move through this thing slowly because it was, it was a slow process for me. It was not an overnight or, you know, by the next week I had peace and hope and was ready to, you know, just for whatever the Lord brought us. Um, that was definitely not the case, but I'm thankful that you weren't just gung ho. Okay. What's the next step? What are we going to do? Like you really gave me space to, and time to wrestle through my feelings um, to wrestle with the Lord, because again, for a while, it was just like, really, Lord, like I didn't even really know what to pray or how to have much more of a conversation with Him than that. Um, it was yeah. a very kind of slow day-to-day thing, um, probably a day-to-day release of that. Um, and I think just by slowly wrestling with that, you know, I finally, I did get to the point of realizing that. Okay, I, I, I do kind of have to choose which path we're moving on at this point of like, okay, if I sit and continue to sit, if I allow my grief to con- to push me towards this bitterness and anger that I've been feeling um, towards towards God, towards you a little bit, towards myself, then yeah. it's gonna be a very self-destructive path. It's gonna cause a lot more unnecessary pain in my life and our marriage. Um, and you know, we do see that with a lot of couples where it really starts to tear the marriage apart. Um, or I continue to seek the Lord in the midst of this pain, um, and let that lead me towards hope, um, and peace. Um, and so I, I don't really have a formula for that, but just, I think I slowly began to realize that and started releasing some of that anger and bitterness and like, as I did, like the Lord began to replace that with a lot more hope and mm. peace. Um, you know, I just constantly, my mind is blinking what the actual verse is, but like one of the most precious things to me was just that, that God is near the brokenhearted. Yeah. Um,
0: Saves the crushed spirit. Psalm 34.
1: Yes. Thank you. Um,
0: I'm a walking Bible.
1: <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, Cause you know, it's, For me, at least, and I think a lot of people feel this way, like the, you know, the eloquent words, the encouragements, the grand gestures were not really what brought the healing. Like it was just needing to know that God was near. Yeah. And it's like that even physically. I mean, if you're, if you're walking with someone who is struggling with infertility or has, you know, recently had a miscarriage, like just closeness is often the best thing. And so just that simple, like that God was near the brokenhearted was the most profound and most healing thing for me to remember.
0: Yeah, because then you started experiencing it. And so how God is often near. And so he is literally near. Mm -hmm. Um, has got his spirit and especially his spirit is in you. And so literally Christ in joy. So he is that near, near, so far near Mm -hmm. that we can't even comprehend and wrap our mind around, but he also draws near through his, his body, his people Mm -hmm. and through common grace. And so I think back to some of the people God has used Mm -hmm. to, I think, even tangibly remind us of his nearness, his presence. I think about people you worked with in Charleston (laughs) that, you know, um,
1: And that's, I mean, that's when I think of like the unconventional ways. I mean, the Lord really, as I began to release some of those feelings um, and allow just myself to focus on the nearness of God, even though I did not know what the next step was going to be, I didn't still didn't know at that point what our family was going to look like if our family was going to be more than just the two of us. I really didn't know. Um, well, three of us. I mean, three, Jersey, three our us, dog is right at our dog. feet he right was, now.
0: We're in our living room.
1: So. And he's been right here in the middle of <laughs> all the years of of hurt and suffering that we've been through. Yeah, um, yeah. God really used even the people that I worked with, who by no means were Christians or really acknowledged <laughs> like the Lord at all. Um, you know, I was working in a nonprofit in Charleston, and but just was, was working with some really wonderful women who, even though they didn't know the Lord were very supportive and very encouraging. Um, I actually, for the first time, I think with a couple of those women were sharing what I was going through. Um, the women, I, most of the women I was working with were actually probably a couple to a few years older than me. And, um, you know, we're not in the church. Most of them were in unique situations where, you know, they'd gotten married later in life or they just had kids later in life. Um, and oddly that was one of the first times I had really seen that. <laughs> and it strangely like through those conversations and just being in that community made me start to feel less weird. Yeah. I guess less cuz I felt so abnormal with all our young families from church that you know we're young and we're having multiple children and then all of a sudden I was thrust into this community of women who had been focusing on careers and then, you know, we're starting to have families and some of them had struggled to have families. Some of them had not, some of them had just recently decided they wanted kids. And so it was just kind of this odd community of like, Hey, whatever you're going through is totally normal. And like, there are ways to work through that. Like we can talk about it. Like they are some of the first people I started talking about these things with that. I didn't like, I felt safe with, I didn't feel like I, Um, I needed to watch what I said because I often felt like that with women in the church that I didn't want to, if I said like what I was truly feeling, then it was going to seem blasphemous (laughs) or maybe I wasn't really a Christian because I shouldn't be having these thoughts like towards God or my husband (laughs) or what, Hmm. but, um, I was just able to talk openly, um, you know, as we started through that, like started exploring some different options of, you know traditional adoption, embryo adoption. And I felt scared to talk about some of those things with like women from the church, because topics like embryo adoption were, were not really normal or common. And so having to explain some of the things that I was reading about and considering, um, I just got a lot, you know, strange looks or like, well, I don't know about that. But, um, I just had a lot of freedom with these women and a lot of connection that it's like, Hey, we're here. Like, let's talk about those things. Like, these are these are normal. Like, we're all struggling. Like, you don't. I remember one of them even saying, "Like, gosh, what's the like? You don't even need to like have children early. Like, there's so much life to live." And you know, with you and your husband, and it was the first. And I didn't always agree with everything they said to me. I mean, they were not coming from a gospel perspective at all. But still, like the Lord just really used those things to bring a lot of freedom in my heart, and for the first time feel. Like there was hope to feel a little more free. Um, And so through that, you know, like I said, the Lord really opened my heart to people to maybe finally let go of that traditional idea I had of, oh, we're going to conceive normally and naturally, and like this is how we're going to build our family. But it's really opened my heart and my eyes that there were other ways to build our family or to allow him to build our family. Yeah. Um, And so through that time, um, I started exploring, you know, traditional adoption, embryo adoption, and, you know, ultimately the Lord led us to embryo adoption. Um, but I know that, you know, without that time, without that space, you gave me to heal on my own, which allowed us to really come together, I think, and, and be more on the same page. And to heal together, um, I don't think we would have been able to really go on any of those paths without that time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and beyond, um, and so yeah, you you've mentioned several times. So we do we we have a little boy now. He's almost four, and mm-hmm. he was born via embryo adoption, which is uh, we think a really really beautiful way um, to, um, to, to build your family. So shout out, uh, NEDC, um, uh, the National Embryo Donation Center in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, th- they were great to us and that, that's the particular path that the Lord put before us and gave us faith to walk. And so, yeah, we've got a, a beautiful little boy who were, I just couldn't imagine life without him. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's kind of, again, beauty from ashes. Um, but uh, so in addition to some of these women that you worked with, kind of these unsuspecting kind of, uh, you know, wise yeah. counselors. Um, uh, Most of them have, have no idea, yeah, that in,
1: they were used by the Lord in, in such in, your life, in my
0: life. Yeah, but there was other people as well that, you mm-hmm. know, and that, that were connected to the church mm-hmm. that are, you know, yeah. um, uh, and so I think of the church that we ultimately landed in mm-hmm. in Charleston after we kind of um, went through our church planning process and, and even even in that, like we made some beautiful connections, some people who, who really did their best to try to mourn with us mm-hmm. and um and, and and give us space and at least try to seek to understand. But I know it was when we got to that second church, especially um as you started kind of looking into embryo adoption that we got connected with a, a couple of families that had walked that road already and and they were so gracious to just like have us in their home Mm -hmm. and share their story and listen to ours and you know they didn't flinch they were they were there you know that nearness that presence that you kind of described like they Mm -hmm. were they were there and it's kind of the role of what what we get to do with one another um and why why we love sharing our our life now, mm-hmm. even though it still for us kind of brings up pain. I remember we had we had a couple um, in our home just a couple of weeks ago who um, have gone through a really um, a hard process in terms of uh, of um, of pregnancy and and grief and everything. And and that was that was hard. Uh, like it kind mm-hmm. of restarted up, you know, some of our grief and everything like that. But like what we get to do, and this is even the role of a counselor is you know, we like we, the hopeless sit with those who have hope and borrow from their hope until we're mm-hmm. able to hope again on our own. Mm-hmm. And so there were those families, those people, um, in South Carolina that like we were able to do that with. And some of them were connected to the church and from the church. And that yeah. was beautiful. And then my, uh, my big sis, um, as well, um, they had a parallel story running to ours that they were a couple years ahead of us. Um, but, infertility as well and you know they had been through all the gamut of um kind of uh, adopted of avenues and lanes and everything and you know Mm -hmm. ultimately ended up with these five beautiful wonderful um kiddos um who i love so dearly uh through the foster um system as well and now that's their their forever family and so we we had these and they were so gracious like to us again to to just be near us and share our you know in our grief, but also, um, enable us to, um, kind of borrow from their hope mm-hmm. a little bit.
1: Yeah. And so. it does. I mean, initially, like it was very hard for me to be able to share and talk about those things with people. Um, oh yeah. And it you're just naturally is, a private person. Yeah. Too. And then often it is. you know, in the early stages of grief, um, and that can be even more isolating, especially when we're already feeling alone. And you know, it's, it's risk, it's risky to share your story because you don't know how it's going to be taken. Um, especially if it's, you know, you don't know who has had those same experiences. So it's all can just be a very lonely process. Um, and yet, but I feel like, yeah, once we were able to share with some people what was going on, you know, we found more people who were struggling with the same thing. Um, and the Lord really did really use those people again to bring healing, um, to our hearts. Um, through infertility, you know, leading us to embryo adoption. Um, and even then, I mean, we we did choose to do embryo adoption. We have a, you know, wonderful, crazy four year, almost four year old old little boy, but, um, we also lost a baby in the process through that. Um, and you know, the Lord again had another, you know, sweet couples through church who had been through miscarriage as well that were able to walk with us through that grief and that loss. Um, and that really. I mean, those experiences, I think, are really what have just burdened our hearts to continue to share our story because we do just keep meeting other couples who are yeah. going through the same journey. And um, we know what healing it brought to us and peace to have other couples who walked with us through those times. And so, you know, we want to do that as well. But also knowing that, like, we're still on this journey. I mean, we we have one child. Um, You know, sometimes you think that, oh, well, if I can, you know, you're dealing with infertility, Um, if I can just get pregnant and have a baby, like, this pain will go away. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you've you've just had a recent miscarriage, you've lost a baby, Um, if I can just get pregnant again and have this baby, like, it'll heal the pain. Um, But it doesn't, Um, it it never replaces having a child, adopting a child never replaces the pain that's there um the lord does you know definitely use that to redeem yeah. and to redeem that pain kind um, of transforms it a bit yeah it yeah. does transform it um, the pain of loss will it's just something that will always be with you yeah um i think it starts to look differently through the years um I wish that it was just something that would, you know, after time go away. But I think the key is just really continuing to seek the Lord in the midst of that pain, whatever part of the journey you're on. Um, at some point, the pain becomes less intense. It it does transform a bit. But um, that reminder is always there, mm-hmm. um, which I think why it is important for us to keep sharing and to yeah. keep walking with other families. Yeah on this journey Um, because it is it's again a continual journey for us like we don't know what the future holds I think we would love to see our family larger but we don't that's not an easy process (laughs) it doesn't just happen Um,
0: yeah we can't just go get a bottle of wine right and just you know right
1: have a fun night and (laughs) then (laughs) then. (laughs) take a pregnancy (laughs) test in a couple
0: weeks Uh, oh yeah and one of the one of the ways most recently I heard from a friend describe grief, um, and I so appreciated was cause that's what we're talking about here. And this is a grief journey and it's not one that just magically overnight goes away, mm-hmm. but it, it does like change. It's transformed over time as we faithfully walk through it and engage the process. Um, but, uh, she described grief as like, uh, a ball in a little box that has a button on it. And like, you can consider that the grief, you know, button. And like, whenever that button is pressed, then, um, the pain comes back, all the emotions, Mm -hmm. the hurt, the confusion, um, the, um, You know, the how long, oh Lord, um, kind of cry of the soul, all those sorts of things. And so in the beginning, whenever you go through something like this, the ball in that box is ginormous. And so it's always up against that button. And so you're always having that rush. But over time, that ball starts to shrink a little bit. And so, but it's still rattling around that box. And every once in a while, it'll bump against that button. And we don't really, we can't always anticipate. In fact, oftentimes you can't when it will. Um, but when it does then kind of some of those same emotions even though this could be months years later will kind of come back but but over time again especially as we as we engage this grief journey as we lament with the lord as we walk with others that ball starts to shrink you know it never goes away but it mm-hmm. shrinks and so it may bump up against that button a little less often mm-hmm. and um but it does happen. I mean, so here we are, we, yeah, again, we've got a little boy, but we still have, I mean, a very real, um, you know, tangible reminder every month that we still have infertility. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and like, yeah. cause we're still, you know, we're in our mid to upper thirties. Like we're still like, you could still physically, as far as we know, like, uh, carry a child. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yet every month there is this like, yeah. like physical reminder that, um we still have infertility, and so every month, even for me, there is that temptation um uh so that that button is pressed, and there's there's then that kind of decision of what i what i'm gonna do when that those emotions and those um am I gonna kind of sink into feelings mm-hmm. of inadequacy and shame yeah. once again that you know, here we are again this is still an area of life in which you know. I'm failing or I'm not enough or whatever like that. are we going to continue to press into the Lord, um, walk together, grieve together, um, share our story as we've come to know the Lord has redeemed much through that. um, And just continue to wait on him uh, to, to be curious of what is, what is Abba doing um, in our family um, through this journey? And where is the next place in our life we might get to behold The beauty that he makes from the ashes Mm -hmm. and so that is um that's where we're at Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah any concluding thoughts or even just um words of of counsel or wisdom to those out there who might be listening to this who might have recently um found out they had an infertility diagnosis or maybe they've you know it hasn't been super recent, but they haven't got to process it, with, process it with anybody or talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. They're feeling incredibly lonely. Yeah.
1: Like,
0: how would you instruct them?
1: Oh, um. Well, I think just processing it and talking through with someone is incredibly important. Um, and I say that as someone who really struggles to do that, (laughs) I would much rather, and I did this in the beginning, would much rather keep those things bottled up, not have to talk about it. Um, just thinking, Oh, it's, it's going to work itself out. Mm -hmm. And, um, it doesn't, it's think back now, like, and even now being able to share and process those things with people has been a huge part of my healing journey. Um, and it's very important to be able to do that. Um, I think one thing we keep you know, at least I hear constantly, especially from women, is just who are dealing with infertility or miscarriage or, you know, even, you know, adoption loss, just feeling so alone. Um, just is a constant theme that I hear is just feeling alone. Um, so, because I want you to know that you're not alone. And I think, you know, I think it's important too, as we talk about the journey of infertility, like a lot of times it can feel like, the end goal is to have a child or to adopt a child, like to bring a child into our family. Um, and everyone's path with that is different. Um, you know, the, we've talked about this often, like, that on the other side, like the Lord sees the whole picture and the whole story and, Mm. We only see a little piece at a time, especially and that's especially hard. Like we're in the when we're in the midst of it, you know, we can look we can look back now and see the way the Lord has worked through all those years and those hardships, but we still don't know what's ahead. You know, we don't know yeah. what's ahead for our family if our family is going to grow. Um, we can still like we just see the little piece of the puzzle that we're in at the moment. Um, and not every family that I've known who's struggled with infertility or miscarriage has. You know, welcome to child permanently into their home in the end. Like that's just the Lord. I think has a different story for each person, and so it it's hard to not see like the final outcome or final goal is to you know, have a child permanently in your home. That may not be the path the Lord has you on, and yeah. and that's okay. I think you know we do ultimately see the Lord's healing and the Lord's redemption and whatever story He writes for our family too. Yeah um but but whatever part of the journey you're on um just know that you're not alone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, know that you're not alone and definitely try not to remain alone um yeah. which you know when you're going through grief um it's very draining of of energy and you might just want to just you know, lay in bed, stay on your couch, uh, just kind of lock yourself away in this, in this dungeon of your, um, despair and grief. But like, I would just, I would encourage you to, um, to do all that you can to, to find that, that one friend that, um, that close relationship that you have and to, to do the hard work of just beginning to express the pain and the place that you're in, um, and uh, empathy is is such a such a powerful presence. And empathy is such a powerful powerful thing here, and that's something that we can all do. But you can especially find that obviously when you're in uh, amongst a community and in the presence of somebody else who has walked that path before you or is walking it right now. And so, um, searching out wherever you're at, if your church doesn't offer anything for. Uh, for those struggling with infertility uh finding to see if there's a support group anywhere else in your area um or at a at a at another local church just where you can connect with other people who are going through um that sort of thing just uh just certainly commend that to you it's a it's a very very vulnerable thing to do but it's one that i think on the other side if you can find connection um then it is it is a worthwhile pursuit to kind of make those efforts so um yeah and then actually, i guess my prayer as uh, we feel like the lord has so clearly kind of led us is um, for those of you who are on this journey or maybe you're uh, maybe it's a little bit more in your rear view mirror now at this point and um and you're a few years in and you kind of feel like you've had some measure of healing in your life then then i would i would ask and pray that you would maybe seek the Lord's heart on on how you might share your story and what that might look like. Mm-hmm. Maybe that for you is starting an infertility um, uh, support group or uh, or ministry or just kind of lifeline, you know, ministry through, through your church or community, whatever you're um, plugged into there. And just, uh, again, so that we'll have more visible places uh, and spaces for people who are going through this to to come and be known, to feel safe, to come and be known, um, mm-hmm. and experience the kind of the, the borrowing of hope, the reclaiming of hope that happens as we engage this grief journey in community before the Lord and with the Lord's help. And, um, so yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think too, if, even if you're someone who has not experienced infertility or pregnancy loss or miscarriage, um, but you know, someone who has, or you are in close relationship with someone who has, um, and just know that, just understand that it is loss and that it's, it's going to be messy and painful when you're walking with someone through that. Yeah. Um, so think if you are one of those people, thank you for being, being willing, you know, to walk through that with a friend. Um, just understand that you know, you're dealing with grief, you're dealing with loss, um, and it is going to be a messy, pain, painful process to walk through. Um, but just be patient, be gracious. You you might get hurt unintentionally along the way. <laughs> I think we mentioned that before, but um, just just let the Lord use you. It can be. It doesn't have to be anything big. It can be simple, like yeah. listening. It can be dropping off a meal. It can be just sitting beside someone. Yeah, um, as they sit in their grief, um, but we need we need those people too.
0: Yep, we need each other. Well, thank you, my love. I appreciate you. You're just welcome. hopping on the mic, hopping on the podcast. Um, yeah, you just continue to be just my hero and just my best friend, just through life. I I just wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. So, so thanks for sharing just from your heart and your perspective and. It's been um it's been redemptive and just continually healing for us to be able to continue to reflect and talk mm-hmm. and so even though I know it's hard and there's been even you know tears in our eyes through portions of this conversation um i I trust the Lord will continue to just draw near as we mm-hmm. um draw near to him and just continue to move toward each other, so mm-hmm. I appreciate you. All right, well, that'll do it for this episode. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, you can always uh, reach out to us at hope at citylightomaha.org. That's our email address. Um, if you like this podcast, um, please give us a review um, or, or a five-star rating on Apple. That just kind of helps get the content out uh, to more people so they can have these conversations and people in hopeless places can find out what it means to, to reclaim hope. Uh, with God's help. So God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.